Be seated. Well, it's great to see everybody here this morning on uh, this beautiful Lord's Day. Man, what a, what a weekend here the Lord's given us. Uh, beautiful weather. Just uh, great to gather here with God's people today. This is the first Sunday of the month, and so we celebrate the Lord's Supper on these first Sundays, but we'll do it at the end of the message here this morning. So you might keep that in mind and uh, prepare your hearts during the message this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're in a study of the book of Nehemiah. We've made our way to chapter 3, so if you'll take your Bible, I hope you bring your Bible every week, uh, take your Bible and turn with me to Nehemiah 3 as we continue our study we've titled, uh, Rebuilding Your Future. Uh, Within uh, the next week or two here at Faith Bible Church, our property is going to become a construction zone here. Uh, You're going to begin to see signs everywhere that construction's underway. And it's an exciting time, I believe, in the life and the history of Faith Bible Church. God is at work here, and He's calling each one of us uh, to uh, embrace the great privilege that we have uh, to work with Him and be laborers with Him. Uh, This morning, though, we're going to visit another construction site uh, in Nehemiah chapter 3. We all need to kind of put on our hard hats this morning as as we go out to the walls and the gates of Jerusalem as they're being constructed. Um, This chapter, Nehemiah chapter 3, if you just kind of let your eyes wander down through the chapter a bit, one thing you'll find over and over again in this chapter, in fact, it's about 35 times the word repair or some translations will have they made repairs or they repaired. Over and over again, you'll see that because uh, this is a construction site that we're on here this morning. And as we look at the physical construction of Jerusalem, God is going to teach us important lessons about building His church. Now, I'm not going to read this chapter as we begin this morning, as I often do. Um, I don't want to put myself through the, the uh, difficulty of trying to pronounce all these names. If you look down through here, man, there's some, some whoppers here. Um, someone has said that the secret to pronouncing these names like this in the Bible is just say them confidently and quickly. You just kind of act like you know what you're doing and kind of say it fast. And in fact, I was uh, looking this week, there's actually a YouTube video you can watch that promises to teach you how to pronounce biblical names. So I probably should have read, look, looked at that this week. Now, but a lot of people, you know, this is one of these chapters that people kind of skip in their yearly Bible reading. Uh, but we're not going to do that this morning. We're going to look at this chapter because the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy uh, 3, 16 and 17 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished for every good work. So the Bible's claim is that uh, this passage is here for our instruction and our edification. And we want to learn this morning what God has for us. So I've titled this message this morning, Wall-to-Wall Workers. There's a great story uh, told by Paul Powell. He's a a well-known Baptist preacher from Texas. Tells a story about a man named Beverly King who used to be the the richest man in Graham, Texas. Um, His presence was very large there. He owned the local hotel, owned the controlling interest in the bank, had a lot of other uh, business interests there. Yet for all of his money, he rarely dressed or acted the part. He's one of these guys that just kind of was a very common person in the way he appeared. And he usually spent his time walking around town in work clothes, handing out uh, books of matches that had advertisement on there for the local bank that he owned. Now, given his unpretentious demeanor, um, he was mistaken one day for just kind of a, a local worker. Uh, There was a salesman who was in town, and his car broke down while he was there. And uh, the man who owned the mechanic shop told him, he said, sir, you're going to have to leave your car overnight here, so you're going to need to to get a room in the local hotel. 
So this salesman looked around and sees Beverly King there, kind of dressed unpretentiously, kind of looks like a local worker, and he asks him if he'd mind carrying his bags for him down to the local hotel. So he decides to kind of go along for the fun of it. So there they are trudging down to the hotel, and Mr. King is in tow behind the salesman with a bag in each hand. And so the man strikes up a conversation with Mr. King, and he says, uh, man, when I was driving into town, I noticed this big house up on the hill. It must have been 5,000, 7,000 square feet. He says, it surprises me that uh, anybody around here in this town could afford a house like that. He said, do you know who owns it? And Mr. King said, well, yeah, it belongs to me. And the guy said, he, I mean, he kind of takes another look at him, and he says, well, man, how in the world can you afford a house like that? And Mr. King looked at him and said, by carrying my own bags. Now, there's a lot of truth in that statement, isn't there? Regard to material success. We've got to carry our own bags in life. But it's also true when it comes to our spiritual success as well. Success in any arena in life requires hard work. There's no substitute for hard work. And here in Nehemiah 3, we meet a bunch of people who were carrying their own bags a group of committed workers who were doing their part, each one of them, to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. As I read this chapter this week, and by the way, I did read it several times, and if you want to read it yourself, you can. Again, you'll come across some names that are hard to pronounce, but as I read this chapter several times, it's almost like I could hear the seven dwarfs in the background whistling and singing, you know, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go, because this is a, a chapter about going out uh, to do the work of God. Now, a lot of people wonder why this chapter is here. You know, why include a chapter like this in the inspired account of God's Word? Uh, why not just kind of skip over this and get to chapter 4? I think Nehemiah included this chapter in his memoirs because he wants us to understand there were many hands that helped him accomplish the work that God gave him to do. Nehemiah never wanted to leave the impression that this was his work or something he accomplished on his own. He wanted to give credit to all of the people that God raised up who took part in this project. Notice he never mentions himself in the chapter. Now, if you read verse 16, there's a man named Nehemiah mentioned there, but it's another man named Nehemiah. It's not the Nehemiah who's the author of this book. So God raised up this army of dedicated laborers, and He wants to give credit to them for their commitment. And it's, it's a fascinating chapter because it's a catalog of long-forgotten names and places, the people who were remembered uh, by God. So we have here an inspired record and roster of all the people that put their hand to the work. Chapter 2 of Nehemiah, the people dedicate themselves to do the work. Chapter 4, they do the work. In between in chapter 3, we have the names of the people who did the work here, the workers. So Nehemiah gives credit here. He didn't do it alone. There's an old story I've told here before. It's one of my favorite old stories about a very talented organist back before the days of motor-driven or electric organs. And he gave a magnificent concert in which the pipes sent forth these glorious, thunderous tones. And there was a young boy down there that had to work the bellows to provide the wind for and the, the air for the organ. And after he finished, this, this man finished playing the organ, he got all kinds of congratulations. The people are out there clapping for him. And uh, the little boy sticks his head out of the curtain. He says, we did pretty well, didn't we? And the organ disdainfully replied, he says, and what did you do? I mean, he didn't give the boy any credit at all. 
Well, about a month later, during another concert, the organist came to a big uh, a part of the, uh, of the uh, uh, music that he was playing that required all the wind that the bellows could produce, and all of a sudden, the organ began to fade away. And he began to signal to the boy for more wind. And the little boy opened the curtain and stuck his head out and said, Shall it be we? (laughs) The organist nodded in the affirmative and the guy went to work and got the wind going for him. But I love that. Shall it be we? With Nehemiah, it was always we. It wasn't I'm doing this and I'm doing that. He included all of the people who were working on this project with him. And I think the main lesson for us in this chapter today, the the main point I want us to see is that a fully functioning church will look like what we have outlined in this chapter. And that is every person in their place doing the work God has called them to do on the wall. The same principles apply. Every person, if you will, carrying their own bag. Now, I've got two uh, three simple points this morning as we just kind of survey this chapter. I want to look at the coordination, the, conse- the, uh, the uh, cooperation, and then the consecration. Let's start here with the, just the coordination of all that was happening here. Back in the last chapter, actually in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see Nehemiah planning the work, but now he's going to work the plan. And it's impressive what is accomplished here. Nehemiah galvanizes and mobilizes and organizes the entire community here to do the work that needs to be done. Now, there's a lot of features in this chapter. I want to just point out a few things. One is the chapter is kind of organized around the ten gates of the city that were being rebuilt. And he starts with the sheep gates. You'll notice in verse 1. He ends with the sheep gate in verse 32, and then there's nine other gates there in between. And he moves counterclockwise around the city, mentioning these gates. Now, one writer I read this week made a comment, and I'd never thought of this before, but he says, Nehemiah 3 contains the most detailed description of the city of Jerusalem found anywhere in the Bible. So this is really the most detailed description we have here in the Bible of the city of Jerusalem. Now, I included this little diagram or this little map here for you so that you could just kind of get a a feel for the city of Jerusalem. Um, It's this little narrow part of the city right there between two valleys um, in the land of Israel. But notice there at the top in the northeast corner, you have the Sheep Gate. That's where it starts. And it just moves counterclockwise around the city, mentioning those who were working. Now, there are 45 sections of the wall broken up into subdivisions of labor. There's 42 different groups that are identified, and there are 38 different individuals that are named. And one thing I think is interesting is people come from eight different places, from, from as far as about 15 to almost 20 miles away to work on this project. In verse 2, it mentions people from Jericho, Verse 5, people from Tekoa. Verse 7, people from Gibeon. And on down through eight different places that people come from. Now, I find this interesting because the rebuilding of the city wouldn't have been a direct benefit to these people. Now, obviously, they live in the land of Israel. And if Jerusalem does well and the city's rebuilt and the city's secure, certainly that would have a, a ripple effect to the cities around the area, but it didn't really have a direct effect on their lives. And so we see their unselfishness in serving. Their main concern was for others and for the glory of God. And I see that today a lot in the body of Christ. 
We often donate to projects we will never see. You know, 10% of the money we're raising here for our Greater Things campaign, we're sending down to Haiti, in, uh, to, to Port-au-Prince, to Step Seminary. Obviously, they were ravaged by earthquakes several years ago, and um, you know, they, didn't, they don't have earthquake insurance down there. Their, their main uh, uh, building for uh, classes was destroyed. So we've helped them, and they, they've rebuilt that building. But that's a building that most of us here will never see. We'll never get any direct benefit from that. We pray for people that we'll never meet. And I'm sure if you're like me, you'll even read something in the paper or hear something on the news, and you'll pray for a person that you know you're never going to meet. In other words, it's not going to do anything for us, but we're concerned about others and about uh, the glory of God. You think about these people that came from these different areas. They had to stop working their fields and leave their homes for a period of time and give up gainful employment to come to Jerusalem and help. I like what Raymond Brown says. He says, these people share eagerly in ventures which bring no personal benefit to them other than the privilege of doing it for the Lord. Those who love Christ have been liberated from the curse of selfishness and find their greatest joy in doing something for others. That's something we all need to pray about, that we will be liberated from the curse of selfishness and just thinking of ourselves. Now, Nehemiah divides these workers according to various circumstances. The assignments aren't haphazard. It's well-coordinated. Notice in verse 1, he assigns the priests to build the sheep gate. The sheep gate was that gate at the northeastern part of the city where the sacrificial animals came in, were brought through to to the temple area. It was the, the easiest access to that temple area. Now, if you wanted some people to build that sheep gate, who would be the best people to build it? It'd be the priests, right? Because they had a vested interest in that gate, and it was something that was very close to their hearts. So rather than getting some other group, he says, look, you priests, this is the the gate that uh, you bring these sacrifices in through. You build uh, that gate. Also, we see throughout this chapter several times that people were given the responsibility to build the part of the gate that was right across or opposite their house. In other words, they built the part of the gate right by their home. I like what Cyril Barber says about this. He says, we find Nehemiah took advantage of convenience. He didn't have people commuting from one end of Jerusalem to the other. This would have wasted time and reduced efficiency. It would also have made it difficult for the workers to be fed. Furthermore, in the event of an attack by their enemies, each man's concern would have been for his family. If his family was somewhere else in Jerusalem, he would have no way of protecting them. By arranging for each man to work close to his own home, Nehemiah made it easy for them to get to work, to be sustained while on the job, and to safeguard those who were nearest and dearest to them. This relieved each worker of any unnecessary anxiety. It also ensured each person would put his best effort into what he was doing. Because think about this. The, The place you begin rebuilding is at your own home. And they were inspired to do this well because if you're building the part of the wall right across from your house, you're going to have to look at that every day, right? You're going to look at that part of the wall when you get up in the morning. You're going to look at it when you come home from work in the evening. You're going to be inspired to do a good job. So Nehemiah here, uh, the spirit moving in his life is coordinating and mobilizing this to get the right people doing the right things. Another thing we see in this chapter is that the whole group is broken down into small groups or subdivisions of labor. 
And by doing that, he can give a certain group a certain task for them to accomplish. And I think about that in the local church. We do the same thing. We, we take the, the group that gathers here in the mornings and we subdivide down so that we can do deeper work that God's calling us to do. For instance, we have men's ministry. We have women's ministry. We have a, a thriving a widow's ministry here in our church. We have children's ministry. I mean, we have almost 400 kids, fifth grade and under here every week. We have student ministry. Uh, parallel with our three services, we have adult Bible fellowships or ABFs that break our church down again into to smaller groups where we can mobilize and do things that we can't do uh, as a whole. And to successfully you know, do the work that God wants us to do here, we need a total mobilization, but we need careful coordination as well. And, and I hope that you're part of a, a smaller group in some way in our church where you can take a part of the wall and be at work for God through that group of people. You know, one good question to, to raise sometimes is why do some churches and some Christians perform better than others? It's a great question in life, isn't it? I mean, why, why are some Christians more effective than others? Why are some churches more effective than others? There's a lot of factors involved in that. Uh, there's an undeniable spiritual dimension to that. But something I think that gets overlooked is often believers or churches that are more effective are more disciplined and better organized and better coordinated than others. I mean, I've seen that here at our, own, at our church. There's been times in the past here at Faith Bible Church when we weren't nearly as galvanized and mobilized and, and organized as we needed to be in a lot of our ministries in this church. And that's changed over the last several years here, I think, in some really dramatic ways. Some of the, the staff that God has blessed us with and uh, Jay coming on board here and our elders that we have here, I feel like our ministry here is a lot more coordinated and mobilized than it's ever been. And I think it's made our church more effective in the ministries that God's called us to do. We need everybody pulling their weight and filling their place, but we have to be coordinated and mobilized in order to be able to do that. And again, we don't want our church to be someplace with all kinds of layers of organization and bureaucracy and all those kind of things. I'm not interested in that. But we do need to be coordinated in what we're doing here and be mobilized in that. We need everybody filling uh, their place. It's an old story that's been around a long time. I like it. It says, uh, someone has imagined the carpenter's tools holding a conference. Brother Hammer presided. Several suggested he leave the meeting because he's too noisy. Replied the hammer, well, if I have to leave the shop, Brother Screw must go also. You have to turn him around again and again to get him to accomplish anything. Brother Screw then spoke up and said, well, if you wish, I'll leave, but Brother Plain must leave too. All his work is on the surface. His efforts have no depth. To this, Brother Plain responded, Brother Ruler will also have to leave, for he's always measuring folks as though he's the only one who's right. Brother Ruler complained against Brother Sandpaper, you ought to leave too because you're so rough and you always rub people the wrong way. But in the midst of all this discussion, in walked the carpenter of Nazareth. He arrived to start his day's work. Putting on his apron, he went to the bench to make a pulpit from which to proclaim the gospel. He employed the hammer, screw, plane, ruler, sandpaper, all the other tools. After the day's work, when the pulpit was finished, 
Brother Hammer arose and remarked, Brethren, I observe that all of us are workers together with the Lord. All the other tools agreed, saying that Hammer had certainly hit the nail on the head. (laughs) That's a simple story, but it just simply emphasizes and highlights the fact each of us has a role to play in the hand of the Master. Each one of us have a role to play. We want to be coordinated in what we're doing. Now, second key to Nehemiah's work here was cooperation or collaboration. There's a a unity of purpose, each one building their part of the wall, but there's a great diversity. And regardless of their backgrounds or abilities, they joined in to serve. And we see here that God uses all kinds of people. They had the high priest in in chapter 3, verse 1, Eliashib, the high priest. Down in verse 22 and 28, you have the other priests who also helped. In verses 12 to 19, it mentions a, a lot of the officials that got into the, uh, into the work as well. In verse 12, there's a man mentioned here who was the official of half of the district of Jerusalem, and it said he made repairs, he and his daughters. And he got his daughters out there on the wall helping him build. Three places in this chapter, it mentions the goldsmiths. Verse 32, it mentions the merchants. And down in chapter 3, verse 8, there was even a guy who worked with perfumes that was out there helping. Now, I doubt he was exactly a a skilled laborer in building walls. But one of the things that's fascinating is you never find anybody in this chapter that's a stonemason or someone who's been trained in wall building. You see all these people from various backgrounds hoisting rocks and digging through the debris. And it took determination and enthusiasm and zeal on their part to do this work. And it tells us here, regardless of where you are in your life, what your abilities may be, you're part of Jesus' work in building His church. Now, here's a good question to ask yourself this morning. If everyone in this church was like me, what kind of church would this be? It's a pretty good question, isn't it? What, say, what if everybody in the church gave like me? How would this church be? What if everybody in this church served like me? How would this church be? What if everybody in this church prayed for this church like me? How would this church be? Am I really a committed follower? Am I dedicated and enthusiastic about seeing God's work accomplished in God's way? One other thing that's instructive here to me, 35, or 28 times in this chapter, you'll read the words, after him, or next to him, or next to them. In other words, he's talking about one part of the wall where they're working, and then he'll say, after him, there was this group, and then next to him, there was this group. It's, it's 28 times in this chapter. And the idea is they're working shoulder to shoulder. They're a diverse group, but they're working in unity, each one doing their part. Because God purposes for us to do together more than we could ever achieve apart by ourselves. You'd also notice in this chapter, some of the people worked harder than others. Several times you read the phrase, they repaired another section. In other words, people were working on one part of the wall. When they finished that, they went and began to repair another section. You see that several times. In other words, they did more than they were asked. And one man is singled out here in verse 20 named Baruch, the son of Zabai. It says he zealously repaired another section. 
So he did what he was supposed to do, and then he zealously went out and repaired another section. He's the only person whose attitude is specifically mentioned. He was a man who was zealous for what he was doing. And to me, that's inspiring. And thank God we have people like that here at Faith Bible Church. I mean, through the almost 27 years that Cheryl and I have been here at this church, I often see people who do one job and that job is finished or or God calls them to something else and they're looking for another thing to do. And all I can say through the years uh, for those people is God bless you and I thank you for the ministry that you're doing here at this church. But there were some people who didn't do any work at all. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. Moreover, next to him, the Tekoites. Again, they're from Tekoa. By the way, that's where Amos was from in the Old Testament, um, just about 11 miles from Jerusalem. But next to him, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. Now, it, it highlights here that their nobles probably were wealthy, influential people. Maybe the idea that they were too prideful to get into this work. Maybe they, they kind of thought somehow they were too good for it. And there, there'll always be people who fail to put their, their shoulder to the plow and kind of want to, to buck the system, if you will. They don't want to uh, take their place on the wall. But as I, I thought about all of this that's in this chapter, it reminded me of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, where Paul gives us a picture here of the body of Christ working together. And he says, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, there's a lot in that verse to to, to mine out from there, but every joint supplies its part. It's the proper working of each individual part that causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's the coordination that we see here that's required in the body of Christ at large, but in a local church for us to grow and be effective and to do God's work God's way. Now, the final idea here, the final thought is is Nehemiah's consecration. We see the consecration here of Nehemiah. Nehemiah and the people here, they put God first in the work that they're doing. Everything begins here at uh, the Sheep Gate. All this work here begins at the Sheep Gate as they gather there together uh, to build the city. Now, what's interesting is the Sheep Gate is mentioned at the very beginning of the chapter, and the Sheep Gate is mentioned at the very end of the chapter, verse 1 and verse 32. Now, again, I said earlier, the Sheep Gate is the place where the sacrificial animals were brought into Jerusalem. It was the place with the nearest access to the temple. And I don't think it's an accident that Nehemiah begins the work there. He places the priests there to repair this gate so that the people can come in there or the animals can be brought in there uh, to bring to sacrifice uh, to be offered for sin. And what I see here in this is that Nehemiah was putting God first, putting God's work first putting this sacrificial system that God had put in place. He's putting that first. But I can't help here but see kind of a a spiritual implication for us, and that is that everything in our lives begins ultimately with us going to the sheep gate. I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it says we enter in the sheep gate, if you will, that we come to faith in Jesus Christ that our spiritual life begins. 
And I just want to mention that this morning because there may be someone here this morning who's never understood that Jesus Christ is your lamb, that he's the lamb of God who came and died in your place for your sins. And true life, spiritual life, eternal life begins when we put God first and we accept the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. So if you've never done that, that's what you need to do this morning. You need to to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin. It all begins at the sheep gate where those sacrificial lambs are brought in. And by the way, here in a few moments, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We go back to that priority, if you will. We go back again to that sheep gate, to remembering the Lamb of God uh, who's washed away our sins. But the point I want us to see here is Nehemiah, in all of this work, he put God first. He understood what the most important priority was, and that's putting God in his proper place at the beginning. Nehemiah knew what to put first. There's a story I like about priorities in life. It's about a a young police officer. He's taking his final exam at the Hendon Police College in North London. Now, here was the question on the exam. There's only one question. You're on patrol in London when an explosion occurs in a gas main in a nearby street. On investigation, you find a large hole has been blown in the footpath, and there's an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there's a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognize the woman as the wife of your chief inspector, who's at present away on a conference in the United States. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance, and you realize he's a man wanted for a series of violent armed robberies. Just at that moment, a man runs from a nearby house shouting his wife is expecting a baby, and the shock of the explosion made the birth imminent. Another man's crying for help, having been thrown into the adjacent canal by the explosion, and he cannot swim. The question is, describe what actions you would take in the order of priority. One of the candidates' answer was very simple. I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. (laughs) I mean, establishing priorities is not always easy, is it? And every one of us every day, we have the, the, the press and the crush of many, many things that are pulling at us, calling uh, for our attention. But Nehemiah knew where to begin in life, and he knew that it always begins with putting God first. And if we're wise, that's what we will do as well. We'll do it in our homes. We'll do it in our families. We'll do it here in this church. We see the the consecration of Nehemiah. He knew where to start. Look, beginning in another week or two, our church is going to become a physical construction zone. Spiritual, uh, it's going to be a, a physical construction zone. There'll be all kind of stuff going on. But it's also a spiritual construction zone every week. It's a building site. Our church here is a, a spiritual hard hat area. And everyone is needed to take part in the ministry here for it to be effective. We need everybody to carry their own bag, if you will. I mean, back in uh, Nehemiah 2.18, Nehemiah talked about how the hand of God was upon him, but the hand of God works through the hands of his people. And so we need all of us here to be at church regularly so you know what's going on here and what the needs are. We need you to to, to find your place on the wall and help us build this ministry into everything that God wants it to be and to do all of this for the glory of His name. Look, our core values here at Faith Bible Church are we want people to believe the gospel, 
We don't want them to grow in Christ. We want them to connect with others. We want them to serve the church and the world. Our final core value here is we want people to serve the church and to serve the world. And really, as you serve, you're going to grow and you're going to get connected with other people. Serving is a key element in all these core values that we have here at Faith Bible Church. God wants each one of us to find our place on the wall and to serve Him. There's a great story back uh, from the life of Christopher Wren. He was building St. Paul's Cathedral in London. He was the architect. And uh, most of the workers there didn't know who he was. He was, he was rarely uh, out there walking among the, the site. And on one occasion, as he toured the progress there, he came upon a man who was doing some work there. And he said, what are you doing? And the man said, well, I'm cutting this stone to a certain size and shape. He came to a second man. He says, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm making really good money out here working on this project. But he came to a third man, and he asked him what he was doing. And the man paused for a moment. He stood up, and he straightened himself, and he said, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren build St. Paul's Cathedral. Now, that's the attitude, right? He wasn't just working on his own little project or focused on himself. He realized he was part of a whole of something that was much bigger. And in the same way, all of us are part of doing the work of building the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if someone were to ask you, what are we doing here at Faith Bible Church? Our answer should be, we're helping build uh, the Lord Jesus Christ's church. That's what we're doing. We're helping the Lord Jesus Christ build His church. That's what this is about. And if you're changing diapers in the nursery, you're helping with a wana, or you're a greeter, or here before long, we're probably going to have to have people out helping in the parking lots, guiding people around. Someone says, what are you doing here? Really, the answer should be, we're helping the Lord Jesus Christ build His church. Whatever we're doing here in this church, that's our ultimate goal and our function. Look, here at Faith Bible Church, you all are the builders. You're the ones on the wall. You're the ones at the gates every week. And you're the key to the present, and you're the key to the future of this church and this ministry here. And I thank you for all that you do. And we, we want to thank the people who've gone before us in this church. We're, we're standing on the shoulders of what others have done. But there's still a lot of work to be done here at this church. And if you're not in the work, pray and ask God what He wants you to do. And earnestly go to Him and say, Lord, what's the place of service that you have for me? And I would ask you this morning to, to, to get by a gate and get on the wall and get your trowel in hand and get going. We need you. We need you to serve and to labor here at Faith Bible Church. The Lord wants to use you, and the Lord wants to use you more than you want to be used. So I can promise you if you go to Him and you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where's my place on the wall? God wants to use you more than you want to be used. And He'll show you quickly what He wants you to do. Put your heart and your mind to it. And let's work together for the glory of God to build uh, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ here in Edmond. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now and we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Father, I pray if there, there's anyone here this morning who's never come through the sheep gate, they've never come to faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior from sin, that they might look to Him this morning and be saved and have their sins washed away and receive eternal life. Father, for those of us who know you, I thank you for the privilege that we have to take our place on the wall. 
Well, Father, I pray that you'll be working in the hearts of each one of us this morning to really ask ourselves if we're doing what we should be doing, if we're in the right place, and you'll stir us and give us zeal to do the work you've called us to do here in this place. Father, make us zealous in our work. Energize us to do it. Help us to realize that we're helping build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, like Nehemiah, help us in everything we do to put you first. Now, Father, we ask that you'd bless us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together and remember our dear Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in His name. Amen.